Well, good morning. Last week, we were looking at the fear of man. We did a, an overview of the subject. Last week, we considered what it means to fear man, how the fear of man permeates our lives and our culture, who fears man and why we fear man, and what scripture had to say about the fear of man. And we closed up uh, looking at the topic that we fear man because we do not fear God or we do not fear God enough. So today we are going to, in this course seminar, we are going to be looking at the fear of God. If you look at your outlines, you'll see that we'll be asking a number of questions as it relates to the fear of God. We'll try to define in a short sentence for you what the fear of God means. Then we'll ask ourselves why we should fear God. After asking why we should fear him, we'll turn to scripture and see what scripture has to say about that topic, about the fear of God. And what happens when we lose the fear of God. And lastly, we'll uh, start to consider some ways that we can start walking again into, in the fear of God. So let me give you a short definition for the fear of God. The fear of God is reverent submission that leads to obedient trust and worship. Reverent submission that leads to obedient trust and worship. So our first point is who should fear God? So let's consider a couple of verses that talk about who should fear God. In Psalm 33:8, we read, Let all of the earth fear the Lord. Let all of the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So here in this verse in Psalms, we see that everyone should fear the, the uh, Lord. There's no exceptions. But yet we know that the wicked do not fear God. We read in Psalms 36.1, Transgressions speak to the wicked. Deep in his heart, there is no fear of God before his eyes. So we know here that everyone should fear God, but we know that the wicked do not. Ultimately, we read in Romans 14.11, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. So one day, every knee and every tongue will confess. Everyone will fear God in one way or another. So let's move on to point two. Why should we fear God? As image bearers of God, we were designed to fear God. In Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So in this passage, we see that we were created in the image of God to exercise dominion over God's creation. We were designed to live in perfect fellowship with God and devotion towards him. We were given his image to bear it in his world. He designed us to live with no shame before him or towards one another, to not live with fear of being exposed or being rejected by others. We see in Genesis 1, verse 31, that God saw all that he had made and he said it was good. It was very good. He created man to be like him, to be his image bearer in creation, but not to be over him. Even though man was to represent God in creation, man was still to live in fear of God. 
So our second answer to the question, who should fear God, it's because he is worthy of our fear and obedience and worship. We are to fear God because he is worthy of our fear, our obedience, and our worship. We see this throughout scripture, that God alone is worthy. So let's look at a couple of verses in scripture that talk about the worthiness of God. In Psalms 2, verses 10 and 11, the psalmist warns the rulers of the earth, Now therefore, kings, be wise and be warned. O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So we see that fear and trembling are at the heart of what it means to serve the Lord. Psalms 89.7 Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? So here we see that our God is more awesome than all that surround him. In Psalms 90.11 we read, His wrath is equal to the fear that he deserves. In Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? So we see from this psalm that we needn't fear anyone or anything because our God saves us. And really all of scripture speaks to the worthiness of God to be feared and to be worshipped. So fearing God is also for our good. We often hear the phrase when we pray, for our good and for your glory. This is how Christians should think and how Christians should pray. It is affirmed over and over again in Scripture. We should fear God because it is good for us to do so. And here's a couple of examples for you from Scripture. Psalm 111.10 and Proverbs 1.7 says, Fear the Lord. It's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Psalm 115.11 he is our help and our shield to those who fear him. Psalm 115:13. He will bless those who fear him. Psalm 118:4. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. So take a moment and open your handouts and look at the uh, point two. You'll see a number of other verses from Psalms and Proverbs that talk about the fear of God and the many blessings that we receive from fearing God. I would encourage you over the, uh, this coming week just to take a few of those verses aside and just meditate on them. And as you look at those verses in point two, do you notice how the fear of God is ultimately tied to our own happiness and holiness? Psalms and Proverbs both link happiness and holiness together. John Piper dialed in on this point in the Ask the Pastor John in one of his Ask the Pastor John episodes. That's a, a thing where we can write in and ask uh, John Piper questions, whether it's biblical questions or just personal questions, and then he'll create a YouTube video and he'll answer your questions. So he answered one regarding happiness and holiness. He says, happiness is part of holiness, he says. If you try to describe for me what it means to be a holy person, leaving out happiness in God, you can't do it. There is no such thing as holiness minus happiness. Happiness in God is, I'll risk it, the essence of holiness. So you can kind of get a sense of the way happiness and holiness are linked together there. Psalms and Proverbs 
also present the reality of God's kingship over the earth and the destiny of the world to be judged in its present attempts to overthrow God's rulership of this world. Psalms and Proverbs also instruct us that it is good that a good and rational life is to live in the right fear of the Lord. So I know I gave you a lot of stuff quick, so I'll slow down and I'll ask you, is there any questions or comments before we move on? Okay. So like me, you may be wondering why uh, why don't we fear God the way we should? Let me get my page here. And if we don't feel God, uh, why don't we fear Him? If we were fear, if we were created to fear Him, what has stopped us from fearing God? If you recall with me the scene of Adam and Eve in the garden after the fall, humans initiated the first great exchange, as Paul says in Romans one twenty three. We exchange the glory of an immortal God for images of mortal man, birds, animals, and reptiles. And what was the, ex- what was the result of this great exchange? And we jump to topic number three, which is, is the fear of God lost. And what happens when we don't fear God? In Genesis 3, in verse 7, it tells us, Then the eyes of both were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So don't understand this to mean that Adam and Eve suddenly realized that they were naked. What verse is telling us is that Adam and Eve are now spiritually dead. This is an account of a great tragedy. They had gone from the pinnacle of creation. They were able alone to be able to worship and experience communion with God to now being live but cut off from God. They now deeply feared being exposed by God, and they were ashamed to be in God's uh, presence. Creation was good. It was very good. But at the fall, everything changed. At the fall, Adam and Eve uh, chose to give up their perfect fear of God and disobeyed. At the fall, they learned a new fear, a new fear of God, of God's wrath and of God's judgment. They also learned a fear of man a fear of rejection, a fear of exposure, and a fear of harm, personal physical harm. After the fall, man feared man. When we give up the proper fear of the Lord, we have no choice but to fear others. There is no middle ground. Either we fear God or we fear people. When we give up the right fear of the Lord, we are making a claim to be like God, and that is a claim that we must defend. But no one can. If you remember the original temptation in the Garden of Eden when the serpent tempted Eve, she says uh, that you will be like God. Your eyes will be open that you will know good and evil and you will be like God. The temptation was to exalt ourselves to God, to the level of God, to be like God. That was the temptation. But not only, Ad, uh, but not only have Adam and Eve alienated themselves from God, but they have also alienated themselves from one another. The very intimacy for which they were created for in marriage had been shattered. Their nakedness had brought about the fear of rejection. And this fear of rejection ran very deep. It, let, it, it ran all the ways to, the, to fearing physical harm from one another. 
And in Genesis 4.8, instead of giving life, we see that the image bearers will turn on one another as we see the first acts of murder as Cain kills his brother Abel. So I want you to see here, instead of giving life, the image bearers will now... Um, oh, sorry, I missed a point, so... Sorry. So I want you to see that the fall was actually a tragic turning point in Scripture that changed everything. The creatures are now naked and exposed. They are living but are spiritually dead. They, are fun- they have fundamentally lost what it means to be human. And this is the very beginning of the narrative of Scripture. You almost get the sense of the desolate place that the earth suddenly becomes as the image bearers in the garden reject a good and righteous king and try to insert their own rulership. This is a tragic event. So point number four, how can we get back to a correct fearing of God? God in his grace and his mercy promises us redemption. And this is what we desperately need. Jesus brings the redemption that our hearts seek. In sin, we are living subhuman lives. Jesus came and lived a fully human life. He feared God the Father. He was obedient to God his entire life. He does for us what we were created to do, but were unable. Just as in Adam we all have sinned, so in Christ, for those who repent and believe, we are made righteous. In Genesis 3, Moses uses this language of nakedness. He says, just as we are sinners uh, naked before God, so in Christ we are clothed in righteousness. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it tells us that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is called the great exchange. It's our sin exchange for the righteousness of Christ. And it is by Christ's death and resurrection that it makes us possible for those who repent and believe to fear God in the way that we were originally designed to fear him. As one teacher once said, when we try to protect ourselves through fearing others, it is like we are holding up pebbles to hide behind. Meanwhile, there is a Mount Everest of coverings for ourselves in the righteousness that's offered to us by Christ. Believers, I would encourage you to meditate on the, on the, on the, on the righteousness and redemption provided through Christ. This will free you from living a sinful, subhuman life that we so easily tend to give ourselves to. So point number five. Let's think about what does the fear of God actually look like in action as presented in Scripture. Because Scripture has lots to say about this topic and many examples about the fear of God. I won't read them all, but I'll give you a quick overview. So what does it look like to fear the Lord? It looks like giving him praise, listening to truth, being quiet and teachable, having an undivided heart, following his precepts, Hoping in his word, understanding his statutes, standing in awe of his law, walking in his ways, being humble, hating evil, and walking upright. The Bible speaks of this fear working itself out in the lives of believers. So a question for you. Can you think of any good examples of people in scripture or through history that have feared God more than people? Fear God more than people. Any examples, just names of people. 
Moses, yes. Good example, Moses, yes. Noah, Noah yes. Actually, Noah is great. The scripture doesn't really talk much about Noah, but it took him several decades to build the ark in his front yard. And we can only imagine the ridiculing that man must have received, right? So, but scripture doesn't really say much about that. Yes, so Noah, yes, absolutely. Daniel, yes, many examples in the book of Daniel, right? We have Daniel not wanting to eat the food to contaminate his body, become unclean. We have them refusing to bow down in front of the gold idol. You know, yes, you see many examples in the book of Daniel. And to avoid the edict, to stop worshiping and praying, you know, refusing to obey that edict. Yes. Stephen, who? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Mary and Joseph, yes, yes. The scripture even talks about Mary being afraid and trembling when she found out that she was going to bear the Son of God, but yet being joyful that she carried him in, in, in her womb. Yes, yes. Who? John the Baptist, yes, yes. Yes, 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 from the book of Daniel, yes, yes. Was that now, Dave? <laughs> yeah, he definitely feared God. <laughs> yeah, spit you out of a whale. <laughs> Yes, we see martyrs throughout the world giving their lives for, for, the, for the faith, right? We see people like Polycarp and all the martyrs of the early church that, were, that, were, that actually died for, for proclaiming the glory and the goodness of Jesus to, to people. You know, you see that all in the early history. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Jesus. That's a good example, Chris. Yes. Yes. He was... He, Yes, Jesus is a very good example. Yes, someone that feared God and was obedient. Yes, yes. You know, we see, it, we see it in kings. You know, we see a, a king that was uh, righteous and feared God and walked in his ways. Then we see kings that didn't walk in his ways and led the people astray. So this fear of God is following God, you know, believing in God's statutes and obeying them. That's, that's the kind of fear we're talking about. I mean, I think there's another fear, too. We see it in Revelations when John's in the throne room of God and he sees God for the first time. What does he do? Yeah, he falls down right on his hands and feet, man. It's like there's going to be that kind of fear one day, too, I think. But the type of fear we're talking about here is this reverent submission to God. You know, as creatures, we were meant to, to we were created in the image of God to fear God, right? So, yes. Okay. So, so also some other, other people. I was thinking about Paul. You know, after his conversion, he faithfully preached the gospel to the Gentiles until his death at the hands of Nero, right? We still have people, uh, missionaries around the world that are faithfully preaching the gospel and, and dying for the gospel even today. It, it's, it's going on today. So, yes. But many examples. Uh, Hebrews 11 is a great one. Uh, the heroes of our faith. 
you know, you can look through there and see all these Old Testament figures that were faithful and obeyed God faithfully, you know, demonstrating their faith. Okay. So let's get a little more practical. Uh, item, uh, uh, topic number six, bulletin, point number six. How do we begin to put on the fear of God? This is our last uh, topic for today. So only a greater fear will replace a lesser fear. Only a greater fear will replace a lesser fear. Our main concern should not be to find solutions to our fear to man, but instead we should seek to, upon developing a deeper fear of the Lord. Right? This orientation is so important. I'll say it again, and it's in your handouts. We are not merely attempting to find solutions to fearing man, but we are seeking after a deeper fear of the Lord. If you leave this class feeling less controlled by what people think of you, but with no greater fear of God, then you've missed the point of this class, right? Okay. So how do we put on the fear of the Lord every day? Well, the very first thing we should do is meditate on the gospel. The battle begins each morning when we wake up from bed. We need to grab a hold of ourselves and we need to bring our hearts and minds under the reality of the gospel. God has graciously acted through Jesus Christ to restore sinners like ourselves to him. He is the king. He has come and he reigns. We no longer have to be subjects to Satan and to sin. Through Christ, we are now subjects to the good king. Meditate and believe on the gospel and what it accomplishes in your life. Secondly, study the character of God. God is glorious and worthy of our fear. The knowledge of God is the greatest knowledge that anyone can possess. He is perfectly good in every way. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are greater than our thoughts. And he can be trusted. Do not listen to the lies of the flesh, which accuse God of being less than he is. As we study the character of God, we'll be more and more conformed to his image, and we will rightly fear him as we ought to. Characteristics of God. God is holy, God is majestic, and God is sovereign. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere and is always present. He is merciful. He is kind. He is faithful. He is loving. He is jealous. He is just and he is wrathful. A few other books for you apart from scripture, which will give you some great insights on understanding God better, is Knowing God by J.I. Packard and The Pleasures of God by John Piper. Third and lastly, we need to repent of our pride, and I can't say this enough. Our pride runs deeper than we could possibly imagine. In fact, it is at the very root of the fabric of our beings as rebels against God. Learn to doubt your own desires and to trust in God. Renounce your pride. It completely distorts the reality as it attempts to make much of ourselves and very little of our sovereign God. So we're coming to the end, so I'll stop and just ask you if you have any questions about the fear of God. 
Can you see how the fear of God, if we gain a, a deeper fear of God, how it'll help us overcome the fear of man in our lives? Can you see that point? Okay. Any, any questions? Yes? Just, just, just through the Gospels, how he was obedient to God. I mean, the Garden of Gethsemane is like the obvious one that people talk about, right? But his whole life, Carol, he lived in a way that we were meant to live and fear God, right? Mm. That's a good verse. Yes, good. Yeah. yeah, he was faithful to death, even death on a tree, right? That's correct. Yes, John. That is correct. That kind of links to what Kristen was saying earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, our typical understanding of fear is more of a category of terror, right. something that's going to harm me. And in that sense, I mean, God has that capability, but the, the fear of the Lord is more of a respect. And living and rightly. awesome respect that directs the way you live instead of running from something, you're running towards it. Yes, yes, yes. Obedience, obedience, right. It's obedient. Yeah. And how long did it take for the Israelites, after they got into the promised land, to fall away from the God? No, the scripture says something. What was the length of time? One generation, right? So they came into the... Now, these people were walking. They saw God. And in one generation, it took for them to fall away. I mean, it is our natural bent to want to, you know, we don't want anyone controlling our lives and telling us what to do. It's our natural bent, right? It took one generation, and these people saw God. You almost wonder, it's like, what, did they get to tell their sons and daughters about him? You know, it's kind of, you wonder. Yeah, that, yes. Yeah, it's just talking about the greatness of God and desiring God, the correct desire for God. That's what it's talking about. And then give you some what, practical applications for doing it in your life. Correct. Yes, that's right. Yep. Okay. Well, as I, as I mentioned last week, um, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon closes his book with fear God and keep his commandments. But this is the whole duty of man. Solomon says this is the whole duty of man, right? This is not a part time duty. This is your whole duty before God to fear and keep his commands. Because we know one day we'll be brought into everything we do, whether good or bad, will be brought into judgment. OK, so in conclusion, to fear God is to reverently submit to him in such a way that leads to obedience and to to worship. It is to happily and joyfully obey him. To fear God is the beginning of wisdom. God alone can bear the weight of your deepest longings. He alone can receive your worship that you were created to give. Okay, let me just close this up in a word of prayer. 
Father, just thank you for this time. Uh, Father, just, uh, I pray that you would just talk to us through the scripture verses that we heard today. Help us to turn from our own prideful, self-centered desires, Father, and just fear you rightly, to live lives in light of scripture and what it says about fearing you. Uh, just, Father, I just pray that you would help us to live lives that are upright and pleasing in your sight. Pray these things in Jesus' name.